You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe. I'm sick and tired of giving Torres a pass, and I give him a pass all the time because he's not as bad as those other guys. But this was a guy who at one point was the top prospect in baseball. It's amazing the cliff that he fell off of after 2019. And we know he makes stupid base running mistakes. He has lapses in concentration. But he's somebody who is supposed to at least produce at a high level offensively. But 2020, he wasn't good. 2021, he wasn't good. 2022, he was okay. And 2023, he He's okay. That's four seasons. We're four years removed from him coming up as a 21-year-old and being an all-star each of his first two years. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Well, one of many, many things plaguing the Yankees lineup as we uh, set the table for the it's not technically the second half of the season. It's post-All-Star break, of course. I know a lot of people quibble over this. There's 71 games remaining. It's really the stretch run of the season. And when you're in the Yankees position and the Mets position, and we'll get to them also, it is the stretch run because especially in the case of the Mets, there's no margin for error. In the case of the Yankees, there's very little margin for error because you've gotten off to a slow start. Now, on the other hand, you could look at the Yankees and be like, well, their lineup, as putrid as it has been, and the fact that you've missed Aaron Judge for half the season so far, you missed Harrison Bader for half the season, Carlos Rodon has made one start. Despite all of that, to be seven games above 500, to be one game back of a playoff spot in the American League, all things considered, it could be a lot worse. And that's why the caller who asked last hour who has the better chance, I think it was Manny and Flushing, Yankees or Mets, to get to the playoffs. It's a no-brainer. It's the Yankees. They're a game out of the playoffs. They don't have to jump over anybody except for the team directly in front of them. The Mets are seven games back, and they got to jump over half a dozen teams almost. So it's going to be a Herculean effort for the Mets to get into the playoffs. The Yankees, I mean, they both need to play better. I know that's oversimplifying things. Uh, for the Yankees, maybe help is on the way also. Major League Baseball trade deadline a little more than two weeks away. Buster Olney, Major League Baseball insider, was on Get Up earlier today and was asked uh, what team he expects to acquire Otani if he is traded this year. You start with the Yankees, the Yankees, the Yankees, the Yankees, <laughs> the Rangers, the Rays. Maybe a small handful of teams, but there's no doubt. In talking with sources yesterday, they see the Yankees as potentially being the most motivated because Garrett Cole, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, they're middle-aged players right in the, the prime of their careers. This is the Yankees' window to win now. You bring in Otani, suddenly the Yankees' rotation with him involved looks so strong. Otani hitting in Yankee Stadium, which favors left-handed sluggers. That's uh, something I'm sure the Yankees would be willing to pay for if Otani is made available by the Angels. That surprised me when I heard that because the Yankees, just because of the pure money that it would take, would be one of the front runners, in my opinion, to sign Otani as a free agent when he becomes available on the open market. And as they say, at that point, all it costs is money. It doesn't cost you players, doesn't cost you prospects, doesn't cost you guys off of your major league roster. It just costs you a whole bunch of money. And if you trade for him and he plays well this year, it's still going to cost you a whole bunch of money next year. So why do it? Why do it now? Why make the trade now? Well, you make the trade now because the Yankees and their payroll being the second highest in Major League Baseball would indicate this. They've already pushed almost all of their chips into the middle of the table. You know, there's no backup plan. 
There's no backup plan once you sign Judge to that contract, once you sign Stanton to that contract, once you sign Cole to that contract, once you sign Rodon to that contract. There's no backup plan. So they're a team, even though they're not winning now, they're a team designed to win now. So that's the argument to trade for Otani. Now, the Otani thing is tricky. And I will say this, and I know he's having a horrible season, but he hasn't been a horrible Yankee, and I'm talking about John Carlos Stanton. His tenure in the Bronx hasn't been horrible. His season has been horrible. But a lot of what troubles the Yankees right now can be traced to the decision in December of 2017 to trade John Carlos Stanton to trade for him from the Marlins. A lot of what the Yankees struggle with right now can be traced to that one decision. And this would be another example because you bring in Otani. And Joe, how many innings did you say that he has played in the outfield as a major league career? Uh, I just clicked off of that. Let me double check. One was second. Like, it was like eight, right? It wasn't even a full game. No. Maybe six and a third. Six and a third innings of outfield play. So Otani is not playing the outfield. Stanton is a designated hitter. You can only have one DH. The analytics tell me that. All right, so if you bring Otani in and he's going to pitch for you every five days or six days or whatever it is, great, and he's going to be your designated hitter, you have, there's, Stanton's not going anywhere. Nobody's taking that contract back. Nobody's taking that off of your hands. So you have to play Stanton in the outfield, and that causes all sorts of complications. Never mind from a competitive standpoint as far as he's not a very good defender, but how many games is he going to play in a row before he gets injured? 1-800-919-3776. Let's go back to the phones. Let's go to Lonnie in Harlem. Lonnie, how you doing tonight? How you doing, Pat? How's everything? Good. How you doing? I'm all right. Uh, first of all, shout out to the company. How we doing? And Pat, I'm not too sure if you remember exactly who I am, but... Um, I don't, and I also don't know if you remember your drop off the DPH on Rothenberg show. Oh, I remember it well, Lonnie. Ah, there we go. Mr. Slurp that right up. There we go. <laughs> All right, so let me ask you a question. Well, actually, I got a couple of things now that you have me on hold. Um, it's funny that you said Gleba fell off the cliff. Depending on which view you're looking from, he's still falling, whether it's up or down. Because if you look up, you see him coming. If you look down, you see him going. That That – because you was in the stadium Sunday, it would have been nice to catch up to you and you know, um, you know, link up or whatever. But that play on Sunday was just god awful. And, and not to say that he was the main reason, because I think Herman should have stayed in. But when he did that, I was just like, listen, Pat, I had kids in my section cursing when he did that. That's how bad it was. It was bad. Okay, so let's, it was it was horrendous. Okay, so now the question I have at hand that I was talking to Joe. Oh, oh also, hi, Joe Leo and Harvey. Um, the question I had at hand that I was talking to Joe Leo about is, like, uh, you know, this whole Otani and uh, Soto thing. You know, I, I don't – to me, I don't really think we're going to get either one, to be honest with you. Um, but to me, I just want to, like – because I've been hearing you and I've been hearing everything all day today. And, you know, I just heard Buster only say that, you know, the Yankees, the Yankees, the Yankees. But to me, like you just said, it's just like, if we go out and get either one, it's just like, that's a lot of money tied up into possibly three, four players. Who are they going to put on the field with them? Me, you, Jolie, Harvey, Michael K, and uh, 
some of the just regular Joes and all of that because that's uh, money tied up in Cole, money tied up in Judge, money tied up in um, Stanton if we keep him, money tied up if we get Otani or Soto. It's like that's a lot of money tied up in just those three, four players. What are we going to do as far as, with, you know, how are we going to put players around them? It's like that's what, And then also – I would say we we should go out and get Otani because that's a bat and a pitcher. But then if he gets hurt, you got a batter and a pitcher out your lineup for God knows how long. And, and then if we and go out and get Soto, a, and somebody who probably has a six hundred million dollar contract as well, Lonnie. Exactly that too. And then I'm thinking, I think for Soto, you're probably you know it's probably going to be up to like four hundred or something like that. So it, you know, I don't know. And then if you get him, you can at least put him in the field. But then if we put him in the field. As Jolio just said, well, when he was talking to me, we're going to have to put Stanton in the field more often, which is going to lead to more injuries. And then I'm hoping by that time, like, you know, once uh, Judge obviously gets a little older, we could put him at first. I guess, you know, once, Rizzo, once Rizzo's contract comes off the book, we can move well, hold on. La- first. Cause, you la- know. Let me jump in, Lonnie, and thanks for the call, man. Let, let, let me jump in. The, the question you had was regarding trading for Otani or Soto. And the reason you would do that is for this year only. So you don't have to worry about, you know, playing Stanton in the outfield going forward. You don't have to worry about transitioning Judge to first base. That's all stuff that you don't have to worry about. If the Yankees are serious about trading for Otani or Juan Soto, and it's more Otani because I don't know that Soto is going to be available before the all before the trade deadline this year, the the Padres are in the same exact wild card race as the Mets. But you trade for Otani for this year. And you trade for Otani to have the leg up in signing him as a free agent. If the Yankees trade for Otani, he's not going to sign somewhere else next year. I know that's always a fear because he doesn't actually have his name on the contract. But the Yankees aren't going to let that happen. The Yankees, even though they... Well, I shouldn't even say that. That's not even fair to say that they don't like to spend money like they used to because they have the second highest payroll in baseball. They just don't spend money wisely. But if the Yankees bring in Otani, if they trade for him, they will have had to have given up a king's ransom. So right off the bat, they are really incentivized to sign him as a free agent after this year. So that's number one. Number two, they do have the financial wherewithal to make that happen. Now, do they want to make that commitment? I do think they want to make that commitment for this player. And I guess signing him, or excuse me, trading for him and letting him see what New York is all about. And if you're going to be a Yankee or a Met, you're going to play in this town. You're going to play in New York. The best time to play in New York if that team is trying to sell you on playing for their team going forward is during September and October because that's when this city comes alive. That's when Yankee Stadium comes alive or City Field comes alive when the Mets are in the playoff picture as well. And you hope that having Otani in the Yankees lineup would lead to that happening at Yankee Stadium. But a lot of this, and I'll explain in a couple of moments, a lot of what the Yankees are hamstrung by right now goes back to that Giancarlo Stanton trade in December of 2017. Let's go to Chris in Yorktown. Chris, how you doing? Hey, I'm great, Pat. Thanks for having me on. You know, I've been thinking about it, and, you know, it's Otani. Everyone loves Otani, right? He's great. He's this. He's that. 
I don't think the Yankees have enough in their system to acquire them. They seem to overvalue their prospects more than everyone else in baseball does. Um, yeah, well, maybe for once they could trade them before they come up to the majors and devalue themselves. <laughs> yeah, couldn't agree more with that. And, you know, if my feeling with the Yankees is, and I'm not a Yankee fan, but they do have the best staff of the teams that are, you know, they're playing against. They've got better staff in Toronto. Cashman's built a really good bullpen, and I don't like I don't like Cashman, but he's built a really good bullpen. If Rodon comes back, they got a couple horses at the front of that rotation. They could be really tough, but their problem lies in if they don't get a bat to help protect Judge. Why would anyone in baseball pitch to Aaron Judge in the playoffs? You know, that's kind of what they ran into last year. I just feel like you know Nolan Arenado could be had. Even a guy like Michael Conforto, without going after the big-name guys, just guys that can hit that are proven. Mike Renfro out in Anaheim, if they start moving players. There's good hitters out there to get. I just think they need another hitter in the lineup. Please they let me know what you think. They need a major leaguer. They need a major leaguer in the lineup. You know, Billy they McKin- do. Billy McKinney, and thanks for the call, Chris. Billy McKinney is a career journeyman. He was hot for a couple of weeks. They rode that. Franchi Cordero was hot for like a week and a half in April where he had a stretch where he hit a cluster of home runs in like a seven-game span. They rode that. Jake Bowers, before he got hurt, gave them some production. But there's a reason why those three guys I just named, and then there's others. They've been running Oswaldo Cabrera out there and gotten very little from him. They traded for Greg Allen for an encore performance for the Yankees, and he got hurt. I mean, these are Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. IKF, I have Yankee fans in my life that actually know what they're talking about. And they, last year, hated Kiner-Falefa with a passion. And I, I thought that was a little harsh. I thought Kiner-Falefa was solid last year. I know he lost his job as the starting shortstop in the playoffs. But I have, I have a joke in my circle of, Yankee fan friends about Isaiah Connor Falefa, and I always seem to be in the position of defending him. And it is true this year, even though he lost his job completely to Anthony Volpe, and you wondered what his spot on the team was, this year he's invaluable to the Yankees. Like, where would the Yankees be without IKF? Whether he's playing left field or center field, he's a better option at those positions than most of the guys who they've been running out there. And he's also pitched to a 0.0 ERA. So where would they be without Isaiah Connor falefa I'm joking, of course. This is the point of the Yankees' um, dilemma. And the last caller, Chris, made a good point. You don't necessarily need Otani or Soto. You need a major league hitter. Michael Conforto was the name he mentioned. You need a guy who you could just plug into. Like Harrison Bader. And it's funny because the Yankees didn't acquire Bader for his offense. That was the biggest question mark of his game, along with getting hurt, which unfortunately continues to be a problem for Bader. But the Yankees acquired Bader for his defense and for his base running. And any offense they got on top of that was considered to be gravy. Well, Bader's been a really good offensive player for the Yankees since they got him. He's been hitting better than he has at any point in his career. But the reason I bring up Harrison Bader, they just need another guy to do that. They need it. They need Stanton to do that. Like, can Stanton do what Bader does? That's how bad it is. Can Josh Donaldson do what Bader does? 
Can DJ LeMayhew do offensively what Harrison Bader does? I mean, you're not asking a lot. You know, Harrison Bader is not the reincarnation of Joe DiMaggio in center field for the Yankees. He's a 255 hitter with seven home runs and 30 runs batted in. But 257 on this team sounds incredible. Where do I sign up for that? And that's the dilemma facing the Yankees. I'll take another break here. Uh, 1-800-919-3776. We'll get into the Mets as they begin the stretch run of their season also. And we have to talk about the Saquon Barkley situation, where that stands. We are now, what is it, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. We're less than four days out from the deadline for the Giants and Barkley to agree on a long-term contract. It's Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. Slurp that right up. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Harvey, we had Lonnie from Harlem on a little while ago wanting to hear my my drop, which you so kindly uh, played going into the break. I, I thought when people say my drop from, from the DPH run Rothenberg show, that's not the one I think. I'm not going to uh, repeat that phrase, that dirty phrase. Uh, do, you have, do you have the one that I thought he was talking about? All right, here, DPH run Rothenberg, uh, Pat O'Keefe in for Rick. Or excuse me, Rick's here. <laughs> what happened there? Which part? <laughs> Hard to say. That's what's called, uh, that was before the, the new time of the show. So that was a, a 5 to 8 a.m. vehicle here on 98.7. And uh, that was probably at about 5.15, working with Rick for the first time. Great first impression, would you say? Yeah, I don't know which is funnier the fact that you could barely say rick's last name well that's the that's that's the the salt in the wounds because everybody focuses on the last part i couldn't even get freaking d pietro's name out play it again did we lose it already all right here dpa patrol and rothenberg uh pat o'keefe <laughs> in for rick or excuse me rick's here <laughs> and the look on rick's face we were we were remote so we were Doing it through Zoom. And I didn't even know Rick. I think that was the first day I met him through Zoom. The look on his face is like, I got to spend the next three hours with this freaking guy. It got better from there. So that's good. Well, it's only up from there. It is only up from there. Good transition uh, to the Mets and the second half of the season for the Mets. Only up from here. Here we go. For the New York Mets. They A uh, little soft re-entry for the Yankees tomorrow. They'll be in Colorado. Yes, on the road. But the Rockies are 34-57. and 57. For the Mets, they are home, and they always seem to play the Dodgers at home this weekend. I remember a lot of big, like, mid-to-late July series at City Field between the Mets and the Dodgers. We have another one. It's the Mets and the Dodgers to begin the stretch run of the season tomorrow at City Field. Justin Verlander and Julio Urias. The Mets did a very nice job getting themselves, you know, back into contention because two weeks ago, the wheels were really wobbling, and they were about to come off. Three, if not all four of them. Ten games below 500. Ten games, more importantly, out of the final wild card spot in the National League. And, you know, we were using phrases like most disappointing team ever. The new worst team money can buy, which was the 1992 Mets a generation and a half ago. And then that six-game winning streak, and it wasn't a coincidence. It wasn't like things just started breaking their way and they won a couple of fluky games. No. The Mets, and this is important to remember as they resume their season tomorrow, the Mets won those six games in a row by doing what they did last year to be successful. 
their lineup hit, and their pitching pitched. And that has been absent for this team virtually this entire season. How many games for the Mets have they given up two or three runs only to see the offense completely get shut down? And then on the other side of that coin, how many games have the Mets scored five or six runs and had a really nice offensive output only to see the pitcher get knocked out in the fourth inning while giving up six or seven runs? That was the story of the first three months of their season. And then in July, they put those two things together. They hit. Lindor hit a lot better. Marte hit a little bit better. Uh, Francisco Alvarez is on an absolute tear. You got a little something from Daniel Vogelbach. And then they pitched. And then I I don't want to make too much, yes, disappointing, the two-game losing streak to go into the break in San Diego. San Diego's a team that's supposed to be just as good as the Mets. So they were a desperate team also. In fact, at the start of that series, the Padres had an identical record to the Mets, 41-46. and 46. So the Mets won the first. The Padres won the second. The Padres won the rubber match. They're a game up on the Mets right now. But what the Mets need to get rid of in the second half is losing those types of series that they've done a lot this year to the lousy teams like the Pirates and the Cardinals and the Colorado Rockies. The Padres, despite their record, and they're 43 and 47, the Padres are not a lousy team. They've played lousy for large stretches, but they're not a lousy team. And so this first homestand for the Mets is very important. Three against the Dodgers, who are starting to hit their stride. And again, it starts with a good pitching matchup. Verlander, who's their ace right now. You know, Scherzer still hasn't found it on a consistent basis for the last month and a half since the calendar turned to June. Verlander's been like 80 to 85% what the Mets are paying him to be. And that's as close to that figure as anybody on the Mets this season. So you got Verlander against Julio Urias, Senga, and Scherzer. You're starting with your top three guys. And then the White Sox come in, and the White Sox are not a good team. So is this a homestand where you can go 6-4 and four and really start to build some momentum? Because the schedule gets tougher after that as you go to Boston for three games. And then on the 25th and the 26th, the Subway Series round two, this time in the Bronx against the Yankees. But their series against Washington, their series against Kansas City, there's a home series against the Cubs, a home series against Pittsburgh. You go to St. Louis for four games. There's more Washington. So the second half of the schedule for the Mets isn't overly taxing. It gets tough late, mid to late September. But at least if the Mets can take advantage of the teams that they should beat leading up to the last two or three weeks of the season, then those last two or three weeks of the season could actually have some meaning. The Mets winning streak, like I said, got them back into contention. And contention for the Mets means they're going to be looking to add. There's little question in my mind about that. Now, they have a couple of weeks to figure that out because they're not going to just add for the sake of adding so Steve Cohen can show off. You know, Steve Cohen shows off on opening day when he announces his six massage therapists up the first baseline at City Field and his three or four nutritional chefs who also get announced. When they wow. line up on opening day, the Mets like down to the right field. They had to like curve around when they got to the right field foul pole and come down. They had so many people lined up on the first baseline. That's Holy how crap. he shows off. 
he's not showing off by sign by trading for guys just for the sake of trading for guys. He's going to be somewhat prudent here, but they have about a week or two weeks to show that they can be a team worth cashing in more of your chips for. And that's why these next couple of weeks are important. So you got to really look at these first four series with the Dodgers and the White Sox. You can't screw around with the White Sox, you know? Then you go up to Fenway and you got the Yankees. And that, you know, that Washington Nationals series, that's July 27th, 28th, 29th, and 30th. And then we're there. We're at the trade deadline. So you got five series between now and the trade deadline for the Mets. And it starts tomorrow. They, they, again, no margin for error. You know, it's, it's somewhat easy to add a bullpen arm because those guys are generally readily available because even lousy teams have good arms in their bullpens and they're willing to get them off their payroll and bring in prospects. So the Mets could certainly add through there. That's their number one need. And with the Mets, it's it's similar to the Yankees. Are the guys that are supposed to be producing, you know, Alonzo, and I, look, it was the All-Star game, and I'm not going to get bent out of shape over it, but Alonzo looked a little overmatched in the All-Star game. And Alonzo has not looked good since he came back, surprisingly, from that injury on Father's Day on June 18th against the Cardinals. When Alonzo suddenly appeared in the starting lineup, we thought he was going to be out for two or three more weeks, and there he was. But it's great that he came back. It's great that he busted his butt to get back. But he's got to produce. His average is down to 211. And I'm not worried about the home run derby either. That was a shame. He lost his pitcher. The poor guy who was pitching to him in the actual competition couldn't find the plate. That was a shame. But, you know, a 211 batting average. He does have the power, but you need to see more from Pete Alonzo. Because before he got hit, before he got hurt, those first two months of the season, he was as good as he's ever been. And we're talking about him going after 62, if you remember. That was the conversation those first two months. He's got to get back to that. Lindor is almost all the way back to where he was last year. Nimmo scuffling a little bit, but he's been the best met so far this season from start to finish. Alvarez that's the most positive development of the season so far. He's really been a find. He's really been a gem. So that's where you are with the Mets. In similar fashion to the Yankees, to oversimplify things, the guys that are paid to produce and the guys that are expected to produce need to produce. And for the Mets, it starts with the two guys at the top of the rotation, one of whom is pitching well right now, Verlander, and the other, Scherzer. He's still trying to find that consistency. But it's got to start for Scherzer on Sunday afternoon against one of his former teams because he's got, what, 12 more starts, 11 more starts, 10 more starts, whatever it is. He can't afford to have more than one or two rough outings because they put themselves in this position. All right, we'll step away for a moment, then get back to the phones at 1-800-919-3776. We will get to the Saquon Barkley situation and the Jets taking care of business with Quinn and Williams earlier today. All that coming up on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Harvey in the break told me the television ratings for the Major League Baseball All-Star game on Tuesday night. Harvey, did you watch the game? No. None of it? Not a second. What, were the Red Bulls playing or something? What day was that again? Tuesday. Tuesday. It's always Tuesday. on a Tuesday. Tuesday. I'm trying to remember what. I know but that. But it, was, it wasn't the All-Star game. Tuesday. No, there's not much, uh, there wasn't much uh, good soccer on that day. How about you, Joe? Did you watch the All-Star game? 
I watched not every pitch, but I watched the entire game. So you were you were locked in and locked volume in. volume up listening and the the mic'd up sequences. You like that stuff? After what happened last year with Nestor, I now have to watch. It's pretty rare that I watch a game with with the sound on, but because of what they do with the mic'd up players and just the way that they incorporate them into the broadcast, that that's a game that I have to watch with the sound on. Well, it doesn't sound like and I, I I had it on. Obviously, I had it was my dad's birthday, so I had him over and my mom. So I had people over. I we were watching the game. We weren't listening to it, so I didn't get to enjoy any of that stuff. I watched the last two innings. Uh, truth be told, I fell asleep and then uh, woke back up for the ninth inning. Um, we didn't have a lot of company because it drew a three point nine rating. This is what Harvey tells me, which means seven point zero one million viewers, and that is down seven percent from last year. And the Major League Baseball All-Star Game has now set a new record low of television viewing audience in five of the last seven seasons. So that's that's not the direction that you want to be going in. You know, something tells me that, <laughs> that Joe Buck, everybody's like, why would he give up baseball? He was doing the World Series, and he was doing the All-Star Game, and he had all the marquee events. He was obviously doing NFL on Fox also. Um Something tells me Joe Buck, as often as the case, knew what he was doing because he basically jumped over to ESPN, was getting paid now more to do just football. Uh, so he's doing half as much work, getting paid twice as much, and it doesn't sound like the ratings for his former broadcasts are going in the right direction anyway. But, Joe, you got a couple suggestions, right, to spruce up the Major League Baseball all game. By the way, let me just say this, and I've said this before. I don't know if you guys are aware. The Major League Baseball All-Star game used to be outside of the NBA draft – which has also changed significantly over the years. The baseball All-Star game used to be my favorite night of the summer. Like 12, 13 years old, I'd have the scorebook out. I would keep score. I would do all the substitutions. I was locked in. I was obsessed with watching all those guys on the same field. So I'm, I'm with you in terms of my love for this event. So how do we fix it? So number one, and this is just, there are both improvements that have happened in the past. And the first thing that has just has to happen is they have to wear their own jerseys. I, I get that you want to market the, Nas- the the American League and the National League All-Star you know, game jersey, but you could do that with the Home Run Derby. I'm pretty sure that there's more people tuning in for the Home Run Derby anyway than the All-Star game. And, I used to, I agree with that. I used to love when, the, you know, the home team, which would be the American League this year, they wear their home jerseys, and the road team wears their road grays. It's very simple. It's how they used to do it for years, and I love that, and and I, I agree that should come back. And let me just – it's not because of what you said. They need another jersey to market. Can I just make a suggestion, though? Can the jersey they choose to dress these players in for the actual All-Star game not look like A, pajamas, or B, absolute garbage? I thought it was giving off like AAU basketball <laughs> jersey because you know how you can have the the reversible jerseys. So I, that's just the way that I look. The at jerseys it now. weren't bad. The pants were absurd, especially the black pants. See, I just I, I couldn't get over the helmets. The the A and N just yes. looked like a Microsoft Paint. They, they they just gave up and said we'll just put uh, a Helvetica. Capital A and a capital N, and, and what and they did, they put a, and call it a day. And what they put a logo of every guy's team, what on his pants, uh, and and then they also had it. Was it on the hat? On the, on the sleeve, si- I on believe. the sleeve, on the sleeve. That's right. Okay. Which 
you know, granted, I don't know how many people know Elise Diaz anyway, the, the catcher for the Rockies that hit the go-ahead home run in the game. The MVP of the game, yeah. Right. But at least if you know who he is, you might not know what team he plays right. for. So, and, and that's another thing, too. When was the last time the Colorado Rockies had a moment in baseball? And you could get the picture of, of, of Diaz rounding second, going to third, in his actual jer- jersey. It just it makes sense. And another thing, too, you get to see your favorite player in the jersey that you always see them wear. Because, I mean, how many times do you see Derek Jeter? And, and the, the jersey that, that sticks out to me is when they were playing in Kansas City with the powder blue all-star jersey that he wore. I believe in the warm-ups, because I think back then they were still wearing the actual uniforms. uniforms. So that's number one. Non-negotiable, again, if you want to sell the jersey, I'm not sure about the rating for the Home Run Derby, but I'm almost positive there are more people watching the Home Run Derby than the actual All-Star Well, let's find out. Harvey, did you watch the Home Run Derby? I like I'm the barometer for this, but no, I did not watch it. Uh, no, we're zero for two. Okay, I was gonna, I was thinking we could have picked up one more viewer for the home run derby. What day if, was if that? Harvey was watching. That was Monday, the day before. Don't answer that. He knows what day it was. All right, what's your what's your next suggestion? Number two, and this was up for a lot of discussion, and is no longer a thing again. The game has to count because, and, and the, that's why all all-star games have pretty much become a farce is just because it's a glorified exhibition and, and it seems like the players don't care and would rather be on vacation than actually representing the game and putting it on the, the biggest stage and, and the biggest platform. But can we at least make the game mean something and have the winner of that game host the World Series? Can we go back to that? That was fun because you actually had to remember what happened in the all-star game at the end of the year with the World Series. Here's the problem with that. I liked when, after the 2002 debacle, when it was tied after 12 innings and Joe Torre and Bob Brenly were standing talking to Commissioner Bud Selig and nobody seemed to have a clue on what to do and they just called it a tie and there was absolute outrage. And that's what led to the decision to make it count. And the winning league, the team that represented that league, got home field advantage in the World Series. The problem with that was... I just remember watching in 2009, and it was like the seventh inning of the game. It was a close game, and you get to the point now. First of all, 32 32 players on each roster is just too many. And, And then you add on, you know, the pitcher who pitches on Sunday can't pitch, so you need a replacement for him, and it's just, it gets to be too much. By the end of the All-Star game, you have like 85 people that can claim they were All-Stars in 2023. That is less special than if there were 50 people who can claim they were All-Stars. I remember watching, it was either 2009 or 2010, the All-Star game that year. And it was like the seventh inning, it was a close game. And there was this relief pitcher for the Angels who I hadn't heard of before, and I haven't heard of him since. His His name was Jordan Waldron. And he was on the mound for the American League in like a one run game in the seventh inning. And if you're going to make real stakes and attach home field advantage in the World Series to an all-star game, then the actual all-stars, like the, the best of the best, the starters, the top pitchers, those have to be the guys deciding the game. And for me, it was that moment. 
I was watching the All-Star game, and I looked up and I said, I can't believe this guy, Jordan Waldron, is now deciding who's going to have home field advantage in the World Series this coming year. So until they change that part of it, right, the guys who start now, you know, the judges, I know he didn't play this year, but the guys who start now, they play four innings, and then they're out of the game. And you're deciding these games by the Elias Diaz's of the world, guys who people in Colorado probably saw his picture on the back page of the Dallas Post or the Denver Post the following day and didn't know who the guy was. That's a fair point, but that's more on the managers managing the bullpen. And I get that, you know, some pitchers might have pitched a couple of days before and may not be available for the game. Also, that Jordan Waldron All-Star game was 2011. Thank you. That's Jordan Waldron who has uh, he has a career three ERA and 39 saves in his major league career. Nothing says All-Star like that. Nothing says All-Star like that. 39 saves in his career. He made the All-Star game as a closer. Did he have them all in 2011? He had 32 in in 2011. (laughs) That's my point. By the way, 32 guys on the All-Star team is too many. There's, uh, what do we got, 15 teams in the American League, all right? I I like that everybody should have an All-Star, okay? I have no problem with that. I think baseball, I know you can't do it in basketball because there's, basketball has kept the All-Star rosters. This is probably the only thing basketball's done right in the All-Star game. They've kept the All-Star rosters to the same roster size as an actual NBA game. 12 guys for each team. Baseball has a 26-man roster. Why are there 32 players in the All-Star game? You're telling me we can't make do without those last six guys? All right, you want to throw a third-string catcher on and you want to throw a pitcher on in case of emergency, in case the game goes extra innings or somebody gets injured? I'll grant you that, but it's got to stop there. Because then the managers try to get all these guys in, and there's not enough of the, you know, Freddie Freemans and Shohei Otanis and Aaron Judges, the guys who you actually want to see. Here's a thought. Maybe if you want to increase the ratings, a little more Aaron Judge and a little less Jordan Waldron. It's just a thought. And don't get me started on the NBA All-Star Game. we got to take a break here. We'll get back to your phones and more here on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. All righty. Let's go to Jose in Brooklyn. Jose, what's going on? Hey, good evening, Mr. O'Keefe. I definitely wanted to chime in, and you gave me another point to talk about, which was the All-Star game. Go right ahead. <laughs> and I, okay, and I, I got to say, I love um, Harvey deadpanning the um, All-Star game and glorified batting practice. It was hilarious. Harvey did not um, help the ratings, no. <laughs> so uh, shout out to the company as always and I just to go with the all-star game because I know Joe, Joe Leo I don't know if he was doing it to be a hot take artist or anything but I remember how much criticism that that game got and how many jokes it got for you know remember this time it counts <laughs> so it, it was um I I, I do understand, like, it was a little bit more interesting from a talk, from a talking standpoint, but not a lot of people were very thrilled with the idea of the exhibition game be, being the be-all, end-all for, for, home, for home field advantage. Um, I, I, I wouldn't mind going back to it because cause, cause it 
because it definitely does need something, you know, to talk about again. But it, uh, it, it, it doesn't do anything for me neither here nor there. Um, as far now for my Yankee point, uh, yep. I, you know, I, I'm a person like, you, you know me, I, I'm a huge Knicks fan and I'm not a guy that says trade for any superstar and all of that. And I'm very kind of, you know, I'm very, you know, harsh when it comes to, you know, judging judging people and judging, you know, what I see on the court and everything. So, but when I look at baseball and I look at this guy, Shohei Otani, there, I, 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 I do marvel at what he does. And I can, I, I literally just have that thought of, yeah, I would have no problem trading whoever is in our farm system because I can honestly guarantee you none of them are going to be as good as him or will come to the equal equalization of him. And, but yeah, and and I understand that he has a huge risk. I understand that he covers, you know, that DH spot is always going to be filled. But like, you know, as we were going through the history, as I was going through the history with Joe, that that DH spot has always been filled up from, you know, he brought up the Giambi Lance Berkman, you know, days. And I brought up, you know, when A-Rod and Teixeira were pretty much injury-prone, you know, covering that DH spot. So it's always kind of been that situation. So I'm a person that says, hey, why not? If we're going to go big, why not go after who's going to be possibly the biggest superstar for the next, you know, five to six years? Jose, it's a reasonable thought. I'm going to let you go because we're up against the break. Thanks, as always, for the call. It's becoming clear. I shouldn't say it's becoming. It's it's pretty clear. There's a very large body of work that the Yankees are not an organization that develops young talent. They're simply not. You know, let's go through the Yankees lineup right now. Outside of the obvious, Aaron Judge, who on the Yankees that's highly productive have they drafted, cultivated, brought up to the minors, and turned into a highly productive major league player? No one. So really, if you think about it, from that standpoint, what are you risking by trading your quote-unquote young talent for somebody like Shohei Otani? It's an interesting thought to consider. We'll talk the Saquon thing coming up next. All righty.